right. Thanks, Kate. It's good to see you all this morning, uh, starting out a new series here in uh, uh, our new year. Uh, I feel like I'm like a kid in a candy shop here, like with a, a new text of scripture ahead of us here. I uh, hope, like many of you, feeling like a fresh slate for a fresh year and uh, a fresh opportunity to dive into God's word. Maybe a fresh start for some of you. Uh, checking out the church again, getting back into, diving back into uh, the family of God. And so uh, exciting to meet a bunch of you. New folks at Pastor's Coffee last week, excited to be diving into membership with some of you today in this um, new year. But, but this morning, we get to dive into the book of Galatians. And Galatians, as more than one commentator has noted, is pure spiritual dynamite. I don't know if you were paying attention as Kate was reading those opening words of the letter, but uh, this is a very intense letter uh, for the Apostle Paul. You feel a lot of his passion coming through in this letter, and and it's a letter that has has shaken things up in the church. Um, It's one of the letters that helped spark the Protestant Reformation and recovery of the gospel back in uh, the 1500s. It's one of those letters that sparked the first Great Awakening in uh, England as John Wesley started reading through this letter and it just radically liberated and changed his life and unleashed some remarkable movements of the gospel in a remarkably apathetic time uh, where gospel ministry and church ministry was at an all-time low. Uh, Alcoholism was rampant. Abuse was everywhere. Uh, And the gospel broke through in awakenings both here in the U.S. and across the the U.K. And so I'm praying that God would be pleased to use this letter in the life of our church in such a way that the truths of the gospel would explode off the pages into our hearts, ultimately changing our lives, our church, and our city. So, you know, no big deal. Just a few massive uh, hopes and prayers for uh, this book and been praying a lot. And I ask that you join me in praying yeah, that God would use this, uh, this letter to ignite uh, more love for Jesus in our hearts. Uh, Galatians is one of Paul's most personal and passionate letters. The tone is fiery and intense. Um, if you've noticed already in verse 6, I'm astonished at how quickly you are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That's pretty intense. He says in verse 3, 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? <laughs> Who's cast a spell on you? Uh, he says in five twelve, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. <laughs> They'd go the full way. Uh, and so we have a very intense book of the Bible. This is Paul at his most passionate pleading with God's uh, people. And so why is the great apostle, theologian, missionary, and church planner so fired up? Why is he so intense, coming out of the gate so hot? Uh, The tone is fiery and intense because so much is at stake. There are Jewish Christians demanding that the Gentile Christians in these Galatian churches follow the Jewish law. They're adding the Jewish law to the gospel, and Paul warns that anything added to Jesus is another gospel. In other words, to put it in a formula, Jesus plus anything equals another gospel. And not only is it another gospel, if we add anything else to Jesus, it can easily become a source of division, distraction, and dissension 
in the life of the church. Paul denounces these divisions as being out of step with the gospel. And that is why I think this letter is a tract for our times. It is a call to keep the main thing the main thing and not distracted by peripheral issues. We are living in a cultural moment where politics, COVID, race, sexuality, and the list could go on and on is literally tearing us apart, right, as a culture. These issues are alienating families, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, and it is tragic. Paul wants to be absolutely clear that it is Jesus that brings us together across all the lines that divide. He says it this way in Galatians 3, 28. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying the one person that can bring us together is Jesus. And that's why we're calling uh, this series One Gospel for a Divided World. The gospel has the power to cut across everything that divides, to make us right with God, and bring us together into a diverse global family. So this morning, by way of introduction, we're going to be looking briefly at the author the audience and the aim. The author, audience, and the aim. That should be pretty simple to remember. And my aim for this series is that we would be reminded how this one gospel brings us together into a diverse global family how it, and how it brings us into a life-transforming relationship with God. So let's pray as we dive in that God would meet us, uh, that this letter would as I've said, explode off the pages as it did for Paul's original audience, and it has done throughout history, reviving, awakening the church. So let's pray. Father, we live in divided times, and there aren't any signs on the horizon that things are going to get any easier. So would you help us go more deeply into the gospel through this series so that we can demonstrate the unity that only Jesus offers across all the divisions that we see around us. And would your gospel go deeper into our hearts and our lives, freeing us, liberating us, and transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus. And so would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you bring these words to life in our hearts and in our church? Uh, We walk away changed and transformed by an encounter Uh, with your word this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So let's start briefly by looking at the author of our letter. If you're following along here in your Bible, which you should be, it's important whether you've got that Bible in front of you in the pew rack, whether you're flipping through it on your phone, your iPad or whatever, we're going to be digging deep into Galatians and you're going to want to be following along as we're going through. Um, Just by way of a little housekeeping, if you are interested in diving even deeper into the book of Galatians, uh, back in the book table, we've got a commentary by Tim Keller. Um, I've got a little brief out there in the connect table on the book. If you want to get some commentaries, insights, background, we want to equip you to dive into this book for yourself. Uh, We posted an awesome Bible project video on Slack for you to just nerd out on this book of the Bible. And so for those of you that want the background, dig deeper. We've got lots uh, of resources for that. But here this morning, we're just doing an overview. We're going to do the overview here on the author, again, the audience, and the aim of the letter. 
So in verse 1, if you're following along, in Galatians, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. So in verse 1, Paul introduces himself both as the author of this letter and also an apostle. And it's interesting to get a little bit of background to this story. Paul was a zealous student of the law of Moses. We see this in verse 14. We'll hear more about it next week. He violently persecuted Christians. We see that in verse 13. This man devoted his whole life to studying Torah, but everything changed when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, which he tells us about in verse 16. You can read about it in Acts 9. Everything changed for the Apostle Paul when he met Jesus. Paul became an an apostle, someone authorized by Jesus to preach the good news all over the world, and he immediately began preaching the gospel with great power and great passion. Since we're going to go into depth into Paul's story in the next two weeks, I won't say more here other than that this is personal for Paul. He had lived under the law. He had devoted his entire life to the law. He had memorized the law. This was a man that had gone farther than any of his contemporaries in living out the law passionately and zealously. Uh, He's lived that law, but now Christ is living in Paul, and his life has radically changed, and his perspective on the law is radically changed, and this epistle uh, lays out his journey, his story. So not only does he have a pastoral concern here, this is personal for the Apostle Paul. He's lived life under the law, and now he's lived life in Christ and the power of Jesus, and his life has never been the same I want to steal too much of Josh's thunder from next week, uh, but a few other details on Paul the man. Paul met these Galatian Christians on his first missionary journey where he planted churches throughout this region. You can read about that in Acts 13 through 14. Since he was not able to be with them in person, he wrote them this letter as a passionate appeal as their founding pastor and church planter, right? He was the guy that shared the gospel with them for the first time. He was the guy that walked them into faith, introduced them to Jesus and the liberating power of the gospel. And he's making this passionate appeal to these churches in Galatia. It's interesting to note, even the most skeptical liberal scholars see this as a genuine letter from the Apostle Paul. In fact, this is quintessentially Pauline. This is Paul at his most personal and passionate and pastoral. And I hope you are deeply blessed and moved by uh, Paul as we see him here uh, presented to us. So we've looked briefly at the author. Next, we need to understand who he's writing to. We need to look at Paul's audience. And so if you are reading along here, verses 1 through 2, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ, God the Father raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. And so while there's some scholarly debate about who the Galatians are, where they live, whether they're from the north or the south, the most likely explanation is that Paul is writing to the Galatian churches that he visited in Acts 13 and 14 in the Roman province of Galatia in modern-day Turkey. And so I've got a map here um, that you can see if you want to get a little bit of visualization of where uh, this all is. You could see the province of Galatia there in green, and you can see uh, Paul's first missionary journey tracked out as he went through those interior cities right in the heart of Turkey where 
our, our brother Ken and Rhonda served for many years and where we have church planner down in Italia. Um, that gospel ministry that Paul started all those many years ago continues to this very day, but it started on this first missionary journey with these four cities that he visited, uh, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. You probably can't see uh, that level of detail on the map, but he visited four cities in the province of Galatia. I take that as evidence that that is certainly true. (laughs) I don't see actually any map on the map. (laughs) It's weird. I can see it on the... uh, on the reverse map here, which is so weird, but it's not on the, on the big screen. Okay, so do I have no slides this morning, or are we just, uh, oh, just this one isn't shown. Okay, good. It's always awkward when I'm talking about something, and you're all just like, what is he talking about here? <laughs> I was so geeked up. I was so excited. It's this great color-coded map. I'm looking at it right now. In the, in the, uh, it, it's great on this screen, but it's not great on that screen, apparently. So, Anyways, you could come, I'll show you afterwards. It's a great map, and it's wonderful. <laughs> or you can flip, if you have one of those old-school Bibles, they have the maps in the back, you can, like, see it. Yeah, those, those are cool, too. I know nobody carries real Bibles these days. But anyways, if you want a frame of reference, it's in modern-day Turkey, in the southern part of modern-day Turkey. Oh, we got parts of it there. Oh, this is so distracting. This is every pastor's worst nightmare, like screen technical difficulties distracting from the message. And this is just background content. Anyways, all right, there we go. Now you might be able to see those, (laughs) props to Mike back there for getting it done. Thank you, sir. So where was I? The book of Acts um, records his visit to uh, four Galatian cities, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. I still don't know if you can see them. Um, They're still pretty tiny, but uh, at least you have the map in front of you so you can try. Um, And there are some wild stories of what Paul was doing in these cities. Um, if you want to follow along, read Acts 13 through 14. I mean, it's pretty amazing. When Paul shows up on the scene in the first city in Antioch, like he goes to the synagogue as was his practice um, and packs the house out. Um, I mean, it is a dynamic message. The first time these guys are hearing the gospel of God's grace. Um, the next week, we learn that the entire city came out to hear Paul preached. His preaching was so powerful. Not only Jews are coming out to pack out the synagogue, people from all over the city are coming. Can you imagine Redemption City here? It's like we got our church folks in here. All of a sudden, the entire city is like coming out to hear the message of the gospel for the first time in their own language. And it's dynamic. The gospel is moving forward with great power. But there's also great resistance happening in Antioch as Paul is sharing the gospel. Paul and Barnabas are essentially run out with threats of violence. Same thing happens to them in the next city. In Iconium, the gospel goes forth with power. Jews, Gentiles, you know, people from different races and backgrounds are all hearing the good news of Jesus. Um, people are getting saved. Lives are getting transformed. Um, but then the religious establishment comes in and runs them out of town. Um, violently. Um, And it only gets more interesting as the journey goes forward. When we get to Lystra, no Jewish synagogue, it's a bunch of Gentiles. And Paul and Barnabas, you know, as they do, just having to heal a man that had been crippled from birth. And all of a sudden, the entire city starts worshiping them as Greek gods. They, in fact, single them out if you're anything, if you're a nerd of Greek mythology. They're like, oh, Zeus and Hermes. They've arrived in the flesh, and they're healing people. And the priest of Zeus comes out and offers sacrifices, and it's getting pretty wild. And so in these cities, um, in these Galatian cities, you've got Jews, you've got 
Gentiles, I mean, you've got people that are like steeped in classic Greek mythology, the Greek gods, and they have these Jews that are living in these areas that are meeting in synagogues. And, and all of a sudden, you've got Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks, getting together and enjoying new life together in Jesus. And you think, what a happy story. How wonderful that Jews and Gentiles, Greeks, they're all hanging out together and having a new relationship with Jesus. Well, actually, it was really messy. (laughs) It got really dramatic. It got really crazy fast. Um, This Jewish movement that started in Jerusalem, right? All these Jews uh, saying the Messiah had come finally. All of a sudden, There's Gentiles joining this family of Jesus, um, and all of a sudden those Jews are saying, you know, wait a minute, you Gentiles, you need to practice the law of Moses. It's not enough that you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and Messiah and King of the whole world. Um, You've also got to bring in circumcision and uh, kosher diet and the Sabbath and all these religious festivals. If you're really going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to do all the things written in the law of Moses. So the challenge here, as Paul's writing to these churches, how are these fledgling churches going to get along? All of a sudden, they have all these Jews and Gentiles or Greeks all getting together across language and culture and background, all brought together into this fellowship, and and things get a little rocky. They get a little crazy. I don't know if you have any experience cross-culturally or if you've lived in two different cultures, but if you have, like, you know the difference, right? If you come from one culture and you go to another culture, like, wow, people eat food differently, the language is different, uh, the religion is often different, you know, the holidays they celebrate is different. Um, It gets really interesting. We had, um, living with us uh, a couple years back, uh, a young man from Somalia, living in our house. And it was remarkable how we are trying to figure out how do we like figure out eating schedules around Ramadan says you can't eat until after dark or before dark. I got to learn how to cook up goat meat, goat meat which was really an interesting experience. Never, never grilled goat meat before on the old, uh, on the Weber grill, um, but had some incredible experiences getting to teach a Somalian how to parallel park. Let me tell you, the, the driving conventions in Somalia are a little bit different than they are in the U.S., uh, but just culturally, the biggest bit difference is, of course, religion. We're having all these conversations about Islam versus Christianity, different holy days. And I mean, it was, it was incredibly disruptive to our family life to have somebody who just got dropped in from an entirely different culture and world. And we're just like so disoriented. How do we help this kid and you know, have constructive dialogue? And, and I hope that gives you a little glimpse. I hope some of you have had a, some cross-cultural experiences that help you appreciate just how difficult it is when people across cultural backgrounds try to get together around Jesus, right? It can be a really interesting and challenging thing. Of course, you don't have to cross oceans or international borders to feel the cultural tension. You know, we're kind of living in pretty polarizing times today in our own mainstream American culture. Challenges from the far right, you know, white nationalism, and, you know, from the far left, you know, Marxism and socialism, and um, all the strain around politics in our culture right now, tensions around race and immigration and sexuality, not to mention, dare I say, people's views on masks and vaccines and all things COVID, right? And so, um, you get it, right? Living in polarizing times with people coming from different backgrounds. How do we all come together, right? That's a pretty challenging thing. I think that's something we could all use a little bit of help with, which brings us really to the purpose of Paul's letter. Why Paul's writing? We've looked at the author. We've looked at the audience. And finally, we need to consider why Paul is writing this letter. We need to look at the aim of this 
letter. Paul tells us in verses 6 through 7 why he is writing this letter. So we don't have to be left in the dark. He says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. See, Paul is astonished at how quickly these Christians are deserting God and the gospel. Paul was just there, right, visiting these churches, preaching the gospel with great power. People's lives were dramatically changed. Jews and Greeks were now living together, worshiping Jesus, sharing table fellowship together, hanging out together, Uh, lives radically altered. Paul planted churches. What happened? What happened to the power of the gospel at work? You know, Paul states that they are abandoning the very gospel that saved them and brought them into the family of God. It's like they're sawing off the branch they're sitting on. It's like they are removing the foundation on which their fellowship is built. And so Paul is writing this letter so they can recover the gospel as the means to their transformation and the foundation for their new life together. Not only is he astonished that these Galatian Christians are abandoning the gospel, Paul is angry with those who trouble them with this other gospel, which isn't really a gospel, right? Paul has had hecklers um, throughout his missionary journeys, right? If you read along in the book of Acts, I mean, Paul's life is just, I mean, it's astonishing from beginning to ending. It's worth a refresher if you haven't been through the book of Acts in a while. I mean, this guy has been through it all. I can't even begin to share all the amazing stories from his life. Um, But the Jewish Christians who had been dogging him, these Judaizers, those who were were insisting on circumcision and the kosher diet and all of the Mosaic religious festivals and Sabbaths and all that kind of stuff, these guys had been dogging him. He shares the story about this in uh, Galatians 2. Uh, We're going to see a little later on in the series. You can read about it. Read about it also in Acts 15. Uh, But apparently a similar group has arrived in Galatia and is telling the Gentile Christians that they need to do all of these Jewish things, right? They need to be circumcised. They need to eat kosher. They need to observe the Jewish religious calendar. So Paul is deeply concerned here, and he delivers his most serious and sobering warning that you're going to find pretty much anywhere in his epistles. He says this in verses 8 through 9, but if even we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. And then just in case you didn't get the message, in verse 9, And we have said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed, right? Paul is saying, look, like if we, I mean, this is, if if even we, it's like if I come back to you and preach a different gospel than the one I delivered to you from Jesus, like you you don't need to listen to me. Like if an angel from heaven comes masquerading with a different gospel, you need to throw that angel out. Like, if people are coming from anywhere and they give you a false gospel, you need to throw them out of church. And if you are tolerating that kind of nonsense in your fellowship, like, we need to throw you guys out too. Like, let them be accursed. I mean, this is like Paul is fired up. He's like, he is having none of this, like none of this at all. And so he gives us this fiery warning. It's like shots fired right from the beginning and uh, the gospel is, is pretty intense. So, you know, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a fun ride as Paul is laying down 
the gospel. And he's doing it uh, for the growth and health and flourishing and prosperity of this church. He wants to see them transform more and more into the image of Jesus. He wants them to be formed into Jesus and also formed into one body uh, together. So he is fired up. And so I was joking a little with Ken, like, so I should just leave you right there and say, all right, if you bring another gospel, let you be accursed. Have a great day. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a wonderful way to end a sermon here? <laughs> just, yeah, instead of a benediction, I can give you a, uh, a curse as the, as the way to go. If any of you preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. So I'm not going to leave you there. I, I want to I close with two questions, two takeaways from Paul's introduction that I think will be helpful in orienting to the rest of our time together in the gospel, right? So the first one is this, pretty sobering question. How would we know if we have embraced a false gospel? How would we know if we embrace, because that's what Paul's saying, like, you guys are walking away from the gospel, and like, I, I shared it with you, I taught it to you, we, we planted a church here, like, what happened? How would we know if we've embraced a false gospel? Adding any human work or effort or merit to Jesus for full acceptance with God, however well-intentioned, sabotages the gospel, right? The gospel is what God has done for us in Jesus, not what we do for God. And we see this highlighted in Paul's thumbnail sketch of the gospel in verses three through four. Some of you might've wondered, why do you skip verses three through four? Those are my favorite verses. I'm not skipping it. I'm coming back to it because Paul gives us a little thumbnail of the gospel here in verses three through four, where he says these words. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus' three-year ministry was remarkable in so many ways, but Paul skips all of that to focus on the fact that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. At its heart, the gospel is God's rescue, deliverance from ourselves, and from a world that is operating without reference to God. I love how Tim Keller says this in his uh, wonderful little commentary, Galatians, for you. He says, other founders of religions came to teach, not to rescue. Jesus was a great teacher, but when Paul gives us this nutshell version of Jesus' ministry, he makes no mention of that at all. The average person on the street believes a Christian is someone who follows Jesus' teaching and example, but Paul implies that's impossible. After all, you don't rescue people unless they're in a lost state, in a helpless condition. Imagine you see a drowning woman. It doesn't help her at all if you throw her a manual on how to swim. You don't throw her some teaching. You throw her a rope, and Jesus is not so much a great teacher as he is a rescuer because that is what we need most, right? Jesus has come to seek and save the loss. This is what makes the gospel unique among the world's religions, and that is why it is so life-changing, right? God didn't give us a bunch of teachings for how we could work our way up to heaven, earn our way to him. You know, God came down in the person of Jesus to seek and save the loss. It's Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that makes us right with God. It's the source of our transformation and is the foundation for our life Together, So adding anything to Jesus for our acceptance and rights and with God makes for a different gospel. 
which Paul says in verses 6 through 7 is no gospel at all. So, so let, me, let, me, let me summarize here into a very simple formula here. So Paul is saying in Galatians, Jesus plus Torah observance equals another gospel, right? That's the primary argument that Paul is making throughout the letter. That's one of the through lines of the letter. Jesus plus Torah observance, circumcision, all of this other stuff, Sabbath, religious, all that stuff, it's another gospel. If you make participation in the family of God and the people of God and right relationship with God based on Torah observance, it's another gospel. And now you might think that's an arcane sort of circumstance. We're not dealing with that today. Nobody's telling us we need to go get circumcised. There's no circumcision party. My wife was cracking up about that word. The party of the circumcision, (laughs) trying to get people circumcised. We don't have that problem today. That would be weird, wouldn't it? (laughs) Somebody was laughing about that. It did not even occur to me as I was reading through the commentary. I was like, that is a weird expression, the circumcision party. Who knew? But here's what we do. Here's what we do in our lives. We do things like this. Jesus plus conservative politics. That's another gospel, right? Jesus plus some moral code, don't drink or smoke or chew or go with the girls that do, right? That's, that was my kind of Baptist upbringing there, right? <laughs> Jesus plus make sure you behave and you're a good boy. Jesus plus purity culture. Um, Jesus plus America. Jesus plus nationalism. Like, you know, to be a real Christian, you know, we got to add America in <laughs> along with that. And so, some of you are like, yeah, go get those conservatives, man. Get those proud boys or, or the white nationalist crowd. Go get them. And, but there's another side to this, right? The, on the other side of the aisle, there's the Jesus plus progressive politics, right? We, we, we got to add all these progressive causes to Jesus. There's Jesus plus justice, Jesus plus inclusivity. We love Jesus, but what about Buddha and Muhammad? And couldn't we add some other religious founders too to the pantheon of gods? You know, Jesus plus critical race theory. And, and you know, not all these things are necessarily bad in and of themselves. They just don't make us right with God and each other. Uh, they can't be the foundation for our relationship with God and each other. Uh, So how do we know if we've embraced the false gospel? Simply this, right? Jesus plus anything equals another gospel, right? It's startlingly simple, but I think that's what Paul is saying here in the book of Galatians. I think that's helpful for us today as we are tempted by a pantheon of things that we might wish to add, our own personal pet peeves, our own theological hobby horses, our own personal things. There are a lot of things we want to add to Jesus, Second question here, and these are all hard-hitting, I realize here. How do we spot a false gospel? And then second, how do we know if we're sabotaging the unity of the church? Okay, this is where it's getting a little more personal, right? (laughs) How do we know if we're personally dividing the church, bringing wedge, wedge issues in? Paul is convinced that our unity must be centered on Jesus and is concerned that adding anything to Jesus will sabotage that unity, right? Paul's already seen this play out in Syrian Antioch, not the Antioch here in Turkey, but the one over in Syria, where certain Jewish Christians were demanding that Gentile Christians follow Torah and would not share table fellowship together with uncircumcised Gentile Christians who weren't practicing a kosher diet. The demand for Torah observance divided the church, right? Adding these extra things to Jesus was dividing the church. These Christians weren't able to eat in each other's homes, right? They were divided together. And Paul knows that the church does not need another source of division, conflict, or exclusion. They already have enough challenges bringing this diverse group of people together, you know, and adding extra things to Jesus for our community together, for our fellowship together. And so we could go through a whole list of those things, but let me just ask personally, 
What are some of the things that we want to add to Jesus today that exclude others? What are some of the things maybe that we're tempted to go, yeah, it's Jesus plus this, and then we can hang out together. Then we could be brothers and sisters together. And uh, even deeper question for you, heart question, uh, do you use that to validate yourself, uh, to build yourself up, right? Or do you use that maybe to judge others, tear others down? You build other things on top of Jesus, and then you maybe judge other people for not holding those same as your views, Or maybe you look at your own self-worth and value your righteousness based on those things that we would like to add to Jesus. I know this is a sobering uh, piece of self-examination from my heart, thinking of the things, my own pet things that I would like to add uh, to Jesus in my life and add and and make sure everyone else followed along with that as well. Some, some, Some sobering questions, right? How do we spot a false gospel, right? How do we know if we're sabotaging the unity of the church, So in light of these two dangers, how can we treasure the gospel together as a church? Okay, those are two pretty negative, like false gospel, ways of unity. How can we treasure the gospel together as a church? I don't want to end with a cursing. I want to end with a blessing. I want to end with a benediction here. I want to end with ways we can treasure the gospel together. Uh, The first thing I would say with the gospel is it's use it or lose it, okay? That is the basic reality that we have. It's use it or lose it with the gospel. If we just check the gospel box and then move on to our favorite pet peeves and favorite hobbies and favorite, um, you know, our own personal darlings, um, we're going to be in trouble, right? We have got to use the gospel. We need to extend the same gracious welcome to others that we have received from Jesus If we forget how much we need the gospel, we will struggle to share it with others. We need to continually remind each other that the condemnation, guilt, and shame that we feel is not coming from God, right? Because we're Christians. Jesus took it all on himself. Because of what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection, none of those verdicts against us stick, right? All of the accusations of the enemy, all those accusations that people would throw against us and our own hearts would throb against us, all the guilt, all the shame, all those ugly inner emotions that we feel, right? None of those stick because of Jesus. He took them all on the cross. And when we remember that, uh, not just as a new Christian, but as an old mature Christian who is still making incredibly foolish decisions and mistakes and messing up on a regular basis with your kids and various other things, uh, If we forget about that, man, we're we're not going to be able to welcome people in from the outside. If we think we've moved on from the gospel, if we think somehow we have graduated from the gospel and think somehow, you know, we have arrived at a state of incredible and can look down on everyone else around us, we need the gospel daily in our lives. We live justified not by the ups and downs of our own fickle spirituality, but by the faithfulness of Jesus, and that is very good news to those of us that can say with a great hymn writer, prone to wander, Lord, we feel it, right? We, we feel that in our lives, and because we're so loved and accepted in Christ, it transforms us at the deepest level. The pressure to pretend and perform is gone, right? If we don't got to impress anybody, if the only audience that we need to impress is Jesus, and when God's looking at us, he's looking at Jesus, right? The pressure's off, right? You can breathe. You can all take a really big, deep breath right now. I know you all came to church and you look very good. You're all in your church finest and, and you look fantastic, but like you can, you can take a breath, right? Jesus paid it all, right? There is a release there. The pressure is off. You can be who you are 
and begin to start growing into the person God is calling you to be. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to perform. All that pressure is off because of what Jesus did at the cross. And not only does the gospel create a new dynamic for spiritual growth and obedience and love, it also creates the dynamics for a gospel-centered culture in the life of the church. The gospel is what brings us into God's family. It's what keeps us there. The gospel is what breaks down all the things that divides and creates a new source of unity, right? Where, there, where there's no condemnation for each other, we can welcome each other in with that same welcome we've received from Jesus. And we can continue to point each other towards Jesus and the growth into Jesus that we're called to together as God's family. I want to close uh, with one final Tim Keller quote here. Uh, I was just loving Tim Keller's Galatians commentary. Highly recommend it if you want to pick up a copy. We've got them in the back. Uh, But he said this, and I want to close here. He said, it's very common in Christian circles to assume that the gospel is something mainly for non-Christians. We see it as the basic ABC doctrines that are the way in which someone enters the kingdom of God. We often assume that once we're converted, we don't need to hear or study or understand the gospel. We need more advanced material. But in this short letter, Paul outlines the bombshell truth that the gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. It is not only the way to enter the kingdom, it is the way to live as part of the kingdom. It is the way Christ transforms people, churches, and communities. So what do you use to measure yourself or others? If it's anything other than Jesus, Paul would plead with us not to get distracted by all the peripheral issues, put our hope together in the gospel. We want to be a church that that treasures the gospel together, that builds our lives together and extends this gracious welcome of Jesus out to a community desperately in need of this beautiful message of redemption and deliverance and life together in this new community. So let's pray that God might do that here in our midst, even as we dig deeper into this letter uh, together, that we as a church would come to reflect uh, the truths of this letter together in our fellowship. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you um, that he's, he's done it all. He paid it all. God, our welcome and acceptance into your family, God, is is completely accomplished. We don't have to do anything to be welcomed as your children into your family. All of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the condemnation welling up from within our own hearts, uh, from people around us, uh, from a culture at large who's tossing condemnation around um, quite... uh, frivolously on social media. None of that sticks, Father. Would we feel that as a church? Would we sense that what Jesus has done is enough in our lives? And would we live out of that enoughness, God? Would it free us? Would it liberate us? Would it allow us to welcome others in with different perspectives and backgrounds and from different races and ethnicities and genders? And God, would we be able to be a family Uh, together based on what Jesus has done. And so, uh, God, would you use this book and this letter uh, to awaken our hearts? God, would these truths come home with power uh, and great conviction? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.